The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Haley Hubbard, a mom to three kids and wife to a touring artist and songwriter. And I'm Jessica Diamond, a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's in public health. And this is Meaningful Living. Every week, we're breaking down the overwhelming amount of parenting, nutrition, and lifestyle information into credible knowledge and simple tools. The Cliff Notes Guide to Feeling Confident in Your Everyday Choices. It takes a village. We're so excited to share ours with you. Jess and I are going to talk about picky eating today and also about a few recipe ideas for parents on the go. Jess is the picky eating guru of all gurus. And I feel so grateful to have met Jess early on when we did because she's given our family the simple and realistic tools we need to avoid picky eating, to also not have so many picky food battles, and also how to nip it in the bud when those moments do come up. If feeding your toddler has become more about bribery than the joy of eating, and if feeding your baby was once so easy, but is all of a sudden now difficult, we've got you. Picky eating is so normal and we all experience it. So let's learn how to navigate it as easy as possible. Let's talk picky eating because this is such a hot topic. I think we both get asked this question the most. And anytime I post a story of our family eating together or our kids eating things like avocados or fish or whatever it is, people are like, wow, how do you get your kids to eat like that? And don't worry, it doesn't just come naturally. And they all have picky moments. I mean, just because they do eat those things doesn't mean they don't have those picky moments. So I'm really eager to learn how to better recognize these picky moments and when and how to redirect a picky eating moment. And just to minimize those mealtime power struggles, like you always say. And I'd love to have you share what you've shared with me in the past to help our kids have a successful eating habits. Absolutely. (laughs) So when does picky eating typically start? And can you share some of your tips on how to prevent picky eating? Yeah. So picky eating is something that just happens naturally. So as kids become toddlers, there isn't a lot that they have control over. And so what happens is, is that food becomes one of those natural things that if they learn it, they'll always test it. But when they learn that they have some degree of control over it, it just makes them pickier and pickier and pickier. And so because they don't have a lot of control in other areas of their life, you know, bedtime is bedtime. And if they have to get in the car and get in the car seat, that has to happen. And so food naturally just becomes more of this like battle zone where they have an opinion and you have an opinion. And that if we don't set up kind of this environment for them to succeed and help nip picky eating in the bud right then, then what happens is they just get pickier and pickier. So the first thing I want to say is picky eating is a normal developmental thing that happens with toddlers, but there's a lot of things that we can do as parents to help decrease it and prevent it. There are some kids that are picky for other reasons that aren't related to being a toddler. And if you have a kid with severe picky eating or you see that they're having an aversion to some sort of texture or taste of something, or they're having trouble chewing or swallowing, that's a time you talk to your pediatrician or talk to an occupational therapist. But today we're going to cover kind of the normal picky eating that every parent seems to encounter. Mm-hmm. What are some tips to help prevent it? And when does that start? Yeah. Picky eating habits. So 
the same things that we talk about when you feed your baby solids, when you start that feeding relationship, really the same skills are going to carry into toddlerhood. It's just when they become a toddler, it becomes harder because they talk and they have an opinion. So picky eating starts to rear its head really when your kid becomes a toddler. So right around that 12 to 15 month age. Mm -hmm. I hear it all the time from parents. I had a baby that was eating everything. And then all of a sudden, I don't know when it happened, but they became picky. So it's really in that toddler period. And the way that we act, the way that we set up meals and following that division of responsibility, which I'll talk about, is really the way to help prevent picky eating or decrease it. So when your kid becomes a toddler, it is so important to keep you have a set of rules and your kid have a set of rules and you have to stay in your lane and they stay in their lane. And as long as we don't start pressuring them or start getting trying to get them to eat, the picky eating will stay at bay. So your roles as a parent is to make the menu. So you decide what the meals are. So if your kid says, I want macaroni and cheese, you can say, I love macaroni and cheese. It's not on the menu today, but will be and give them a time when it will be in the near future. So you really are in charge of the menu. And in the toddler stage, this is so important because your kids are going to start asking for things. And then you still decide where meals happen and when they happen. So we want to have defined meal and snack time. So instead of having our kid grazing throughout the day, they're going to ask you, they're going to say, mommy, daddy, you know, whoever, I'm hungry. And what we respond back is, I see you're hungry, but meal time is not until whatever time or snack time isn't until whatever time. And then your kid decides if and whether they eat. And so in toddler stage, this is harder because they start asking for things. And instead of giving into what they ask for, you can say you can have as much or as little of whatever they're eating as you want. Mm -hmm. That line is so good. Will you say it again? Yeah, I will. (laughs) It works. It's one of those magic phrases of Jess's. It's it's actually a magical phrase. You are going to say it hundreds of times but it's you can have as much or as little as you want. We all want our kids not to be picky eaters, right? We, we really want them to have a great relationship with food. And the biggest way we do that is making food neutral. The whole purpose of the division of responsibility is to help us, remind us as parents to be neutral about food and to not kind of get wrapped up in it. So when we talk about pressure, there's positive pressure and there's negative pressure. I think the negative pressure we recognize more. And when we do it, it feels icky and we know that we're doing something wrong, right? When we say, Mm -hmm. you know, if you don't eat your broccoli then and you give them a consequence, that's negative pressure. And we've all done it. And when we do it, we recognize like, okay, I probably shouldn't be bribing my kid with this or I shouldn't be using that negative pressure. But positive pressure is what we think we're doing to really help them have a good relationship with food, but it backfires. So Mm -hmm. positive pressure is like, you know, Dr. So-and-so says that if you eat your greens, you get big and strong. Or, you know, have two more bites of your broccoli and then you can have whatever it may be. And kids feel that pressure and that pressure backfires to make them become pickier. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, totally. And both of those are so natural to say. I mean, oh, this is so good for your body or this is so healthy for you, blah, blah, blah. And so it's hard not to. I mean, that's what we all grew up with, right? Absolutely. This is cake's not good for you or it's such a treat or it's putting that food on a pedestal, whatever it is. And 
it, it's hard to stay away from that. But I think over time you kind of learn, okay, don't say that. And and what do we say? Like how to how do we keep that neutral? Yeah. So I'll give some, I think with this, examples are the best. So the phrases you're going to use over and over and over again is it's not on the menu today. I love, you know, peas. Peas aren't on the menu today. They ask for pizza. They ask for whatever it may be. Let's say they ask for strawberries. Strawberries aren't on the menu right now, but they will be and give them a time in the near future, they will be. Right. And then the other phrase is you can have as much or as little as you want. The reason I say it that way is because if you think about it, that doesn't give any positive or negative pressure. You're putting it out in front of them and you're saying you can have as much or as little as you want. So you're not telling them they have to finish it or they're not, or you're not telling them not to eat it. So there have been moments. I mean, picky behaviors. You can have a non-picky eater that ex- displays picky behaviors all the time. And so Bryce will say to me, you know, the other night, for instance, I put down Indian food for dinner. He helped me cook it. Typically, that's a meal that he helps me cook and he's so excited to eat it and he sits down. And, you know, he started to say, no Indian food. I don't want Indian food. I don't want Indian food. And I just stayed calm as hard as it is. And I said, you can have as much or as little as you want. And that night he decided only to take like a couple, two or three bites. I stayed neutral. I said nothing about the food. And then when he was done with mealtime, we ended it. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when you say you can have as much or as little as you want, they just devour it. And sometimes they might not even touch it, but it it's not our job to get our kids to eat. It's our job to lay this neutral foundation so that they can really listen to their bodies. And a lot of times when they don't eat, it's they're not really that hungry. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. My head is going in so many directions right now. So <laughs> I feel like everything you just said opened so many cans of worms. So back to you can eat as much or as little as you want. Does that pertain to dessert? I think that's one thing everyone's going to want to know. Yeah. So dessert. So let's set up. How do you set up a meal? So for your toddler, the best or your child, the best way to set up a meal is that you put a little bit on their plate. So if you put too much on their plate, a lot of times it's really overwhelming. So we always want to put a little bit on their plate and let's just make let's just make a meal up. So we have a meal of chicken and strawberries and broccoli. And so you're going to put a couple pieces of that on your kid's meal and you'll put ramekins or some sort of way in front of them so they can see the rest that's in front of them. And they can eat in any order. So they can have as much or as little of what's in front of them. So that's how we want to set up meals because we want them to see how much they have left in front of them that they can eat. I don't care if they eat you know, all of the strawberries first or if they don't touch their chicken. None of that matters. They really, a successful meal is if they eat 0% or if they eat 100%. So when we put dessert in play, we really don't want to use dessert as a reward because when we say, when you're done with your dinner and then you can have dessert, what we're really teaching them is that dessert somehow is more special than the meal that they had and we make it more of a forbidden food. So we really want to neutralize all foods and make them all fit. So the way to handle dessert is to give a child-sized portion of dessert with their meal at dinner. So that whether that's fruit or whether that's a cupcake or whether that's some Halloween candy, it doesn't matter what it is. But that is the one thing where I don't say you give them unlimited at that time. You just give them one child-sized portion. And when they're done with it, they're done with it. But you're putting it with their meal. So they can eat the dessert first and say nothing and be neutral. And that's really the way you neutralize out desserts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and it, it does work over time. It, at first, you might think they're going to go for the dessert, of course, all the time first. And they do, <laughs> but that's okay because then they know when the dessert's gone, the dessert's gone. The other important thing to do with desserts is to give your kid an opportunity to have a situation where they have kind of unrestricted access to dessert. So in real life, what I love to do with this is to say once every two weeks, give your kid the opportunity to have more of a situation where they can have as much or as little of a dessert as they want. So what this looks like in real life is at snack time, I say, make cookies or banana bread. Maybe it's the weekend. You have time to bake with your kids or you just have it in the house. So give them as much or as little of what you made and allow them to listen to their body and tell you how much they want. So if you're making cookies, it may be that your kid wants none of the cookies or it may be that your kid eats four cookies. But what this does is it really allows them to become an intuitive eater because it's so natural for us to restrict desserts because that's just naturally what we want to do. We want our kids to be quote unquote healthy. And so we want to restrict desserts. But what that does is it actually rebounds and makes it more of a forbidden food and puts it on a pedestal. So the best thing to do is give dessert, like we said, at dinner every day, give an opportunity for a child-sized dessert. And then once every two weeks at snack time, giving them an opportunity to have as much or as little of the dessert that you made. Now, you're not going to call it dessert or a treat. You're just going to call it snack time to neutralize it. But they'll listen to their bodies and this will allow them to become intuitive eaters. Mm-hmm. And usually, I mean, Liv has said multiple times that she her belly hurt after she ate cookies or her belly hurt after she ate cake. And so they know, I mean, and we don't even have to tell them. In fact, I don't think we should tell them your belly's going to hurt because then that's telling them how they feel. But to just let them figure that out on their own. And your ramekin tip, it's something that we don't always implement because I'm just, you know, it's, I don't always have the time or whatever it is, or I don't have all the ramekins when we're traveling. But when we do implement it and just have those little bowls, like, okay, here's the extra strawberries. Okay, here's the extra broccoli. Here's the extra chicken. It works so well. And every time I do it, I'm like, why don't I do this all the time? Because it takes out all of the extra questions. Like, mommy, I want more strawberries. Okay, well, are all your strawberries gone in the ramekin? Yep. Okay, they're all gone. Even though she knows I have tons in the refrigerator, but she also knows that when that's up, that's up. But the other times when I don't have the ramekins, it's almost like she knows that I don't really have a boundary there because I don't even know when when they're up. Completely. The biggest thing with picky eating, I should say, is that it requires work on our part. So the more organized we can be with meals and the more we can set out, the more we can put take that extra work and put the ramekins out, it is a lot of work up front. I am a mom. I am juggling a lot. I totally understand how much time it takes to do that. But the reward is tenfold. So when your kid is coming into their chair, they're eating you know, five times a day, four or five times a day, that's a lot. And if each time they're coming to their chair, it's a power struggle, that just bleeds into the rest of your day. And it makes life just so much less enjoyable with them. And so if we can implement certain things to help those those power struggles, to decrease them, it, it makes our life easier in the long run. Mm-hmm. And going back to what you said about saying... It's not on the menu. You can have as much or as little as you want. I mean, staying consistent with those things because don't think that you're just going to say it one day and then that's going to fix all your problems. You're going to say it every day, but that's their boundary where they know, okay, it's not on the menu. 
I mean, Olivia still asks every day. Today she said, I gave her a breakfast of scrambled eggs and she had peanut butter toast with banana slices on it and then some strawberries. And it was so beautiful and I was so proud of it. Looked really cute. I almost took a picture of it. And she goes, I want oranges. And I was like, you're kidding me. I mean, I thought in my head, you're kidding me. And so I just said, hey, Olivia, I love oranges too. It's not on the menu today, but maybe they could be on the menu tomorrow. And she said, okay. And when they say, okay, you're like, yes. You just want to like go around and do an Oprah happy dance or something. I mean, it's just the best feeling in the world. And so saying that consistently, they will pick it up and they will just start saying, okay, mom or okay, dad. And I they're, they're testing. You, yeah. yeah, they're testing. They're going to test every day and they're going to try it. So just keep that phrase in your back pocket ready to use, even if you have to use it 10 times during that one meal. Yeah. This comes back to the whole idea is that it's not... I, I want every parent to like really, really hear this, is that it is not our job to get our kids to eat. It is our job to offer consistency, which means the menu and the time in which they eat. Because they will forever decide if and whether they eat. And so really a successful meal, it's totally fine if they eat 0%. And it is totally fine if they eat 110% and they want more. We want to listen to their hunger cues. What parents fear the most, what I hear over and over is if they don't eat their lunch, aren't they going to get hungry? Or you know, it's that fear of what if your kid refuses a meal? And what I can promise you is two things. One, when we look at a child's intake, we look at it over a week not over a day. So your kid will balance out. They will eat as much or as little as they need to grow in the way that's right for them. And if they do refuse a meal, you don't then set like a snack or a meal to compensate in between that time. You keep your meal and snack times consistent. And when they say they're hungry in between then, you can say, oh, I see you're hungry. Lunch is at whatever time it is, at one o'clock. And you hold to that because then what you're doing is you're helping them build an intuitive eater because then they can feel their hunger cues. And they will over... When when you don't become a short order chef, when the menu is what the menu is, they learn how to eat and they do so much better. And really, we're setting our kids up to succeed because they feel so much better. You feel better and they feel better. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but when you're telling them what their schedule is that day, it helps them like we've talked about in past episodes. It, it just helps them set up their their day. Like just like we like to know a plan, they like to know a plan. And so in the mornings, if our kids are ever like, I don't want that or I'm full, I say, okay, check in with your belly. And if you're still full, just know that we're not going to eat lunch until 12 o'clock. That's our lunchtime. Yeah. And then she's aware of it. And then she makes her decision. Okay. Yep. Mommy, I'm full. And then she knows that she's not going to get a snack until lunchtime or she's not going to get to eat next until lunchtime. And so she's not just snacking all day. And then of course, not eating for her mealtimes, she's ready to eat when it is the mealtime. Yeah. The thing to say is that picky eating is really hard. It, it is really hard when there are mealtime power struggles. They would just wear us down. And the biggest thing is stopping that cycle. So when you are neutral and you give up that control that it's not your job to get your kids to eat, all of a sudden, it's just like this aha moment. I, I see this all the time. It's just like, whoa, wait, that's not my job. I don't have to get my kids to eat their broccoli. All I have to do is offer it. 
And then the more we play it cool, I always say play it as cool as it was if you were dating a guy or or a girl and you were just trying to like play it cool. You do not want to show, you want to keep a poker face. You don't want to put positive or negative pressure. It is what it is. If they cry and they don't want the food, you can validate the feeling. I see you don't see your, you know, you don't want that right now. You can have as much or as little as you want and just end the meal time. And over yeah. time, the behavior gets, it happens so much quicker than you would ever expect. Mm-hmm. It is. Now, there's also a few moments where, let's see, I'm going to use the other night for an example. We had a couple of people at our house. Olivia was really distracted. And so I think sometimes the distractions just distract her in general from her eating. And I can tell she's definitely hungry. I know she loves what's on her plate, but she's just like not eating. She's chatting. She's getting up from the table. And in that moment, it's like, okay, what do I do? How do I, how do I get them to eat? Because I know they're going to be hungry later. You bring up two good points. Number one is, is distraction. I mean, I'm sure there are so many people listening where they feel like the only way that they can get their kid to eat is to distract them. I hear this day in and day out. So the only way I can get my kid to eat is when I have the iPad in front of them. The only way I can get my kid to eat is if you know there's something going on where they're kind of distracted. And so I distract them into eating. The problem is, is that they then don't become intuitive and they can't feel their hunger and fullness cues. So the type of distraction that we want to stay away from is we want to turn off the TV. We want to turn off the iPads. We want to have as much of engaged eating as we can where that they can feel their belly. And I know it's hard to pull that trigger. Trust me, when something's working you know, in parenting, you just want to continue it on. But in the long run, it's going to make life harder. So yes, turning off the electronics and having it as much as you can have distract-free. There's other times where no matter what, there's a distraction. You have, you know, you're at a birthday party or a play date or there's Mm -hmm. people around and and life is different and it's more distracted. And sometimes, you know what, they might eat less during that time. And then that's okay. They'll end up making it up, you know, later on in other meals. Mm -hmm. And so that's the distraction piece. There's also a piece where there's this fine line where we want to stay neutral around food, but we can make food fun. So instead of like, you know, enticing, like we don't do the airplane to try to get them to eat or like try to pressure them, but there's things that we can do to make food fun where we're still neutral. So one of the things I love to ask is, you know, what does that look like when they're, when they have their food and they have some broccoli in front of them, engage your kid's imagination with food. So what does that look like? Oh, it looks like, you know, one day it looks like a tree. The next day it's whatever Bryce is into. It might look like a dinosaur or a guitar, whatever it may be. But that's a way of not putting pressure on eating, but it's helping them just have more fun during mealtimes, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Olivia likes to picture little birdies on trees like of the broccoli. And so she pretends there's birds on the trees and then she tries to eat them. <laughs> yeah, that's the it's the cutest. And so that that is fun. That is that is where you can be playful at meals and it be fun and you're not putting pressure one way or another. And mm-hmm. so if your goal is to ask them, you know, it's a fine line. We don't want the goal to be what does that look like and an alligator and, you know, okay, go ahead, eat your alligator now. We don't want to pressure them to do it, but we want to make mealtimes fun and use their imagination. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, that is actually one of the tips that helps a lot of picky eaters is start to imagine things. 
And the other part to remember is that your kids are being exposed to food from the way that they touch it or if it touches their plate or wherever it may be. It doesn't have to touch their mouths for them to be exposed to it. So anytime they see it, they feel it, anything, they're being exposed. And so that's an exposure. So just let that happen and know that that is one step closer to your kids eating that food. Mm -hmm. I think another thing going back to your neutrality, and this may or may not fit in here, but you know, just like they're watching what we're eating and emulating what we're doing, they're also hearing what we're saying. So if I say, I don't really like mushrooms or I don't really like spicy food, you know, they're picking up on those things. And so I don't want to ever pass those eating habits down to my kids because just because I don't like mushrooms doesn't mean I want my kids to not like mushrooms. Yeah. So what are some ways that we can kind of shift those phrases? So yes, number one, we are our ultimate kids models. They will copy what we do. So anytime that we have language around food, they're going to copy it or what we do, they're going to copy. So it's hard when we become parents. It's like all of a sudden we're being watched 24-7 for our behaviors. And so we really have to make sure, especially around food, that that we're in check with it, You know that we, that we are intentional. Something that I heard the other day that was just so profound to me is that we have this fear that our kids are going to be picky eaters or that our kids aren't going to eat in the way that we want them to eat. And that fear comes from this diet culture in which we live where a lot of adults don't have good relationships with food. And so we are so afraid we're going to pass that down to our kids. And so that fear, so the fear of picky eating and the fear that comes around eating is that we don't want our kids to make the same mistakes that we did when we were younger. And so I totally understand that fear. And I think we have a great opportunity to shift that and a great opportunity to model behavior that we want our kids to do. And so one of the things to say is that as opposed to saying, I like a food or I don't like a food, the shifting language, describe the food. So say you aren't really into mushrooms, don't say anything about it. Put it on your plate. When you ask your kids, instead of saying, do you like pizza or do you like broccoli, you know, have them describe it. So is the broccoli crunchy? Is it savory? Is it sweet? It might sound so stupid, but it naturally helps us talk about food in a neutral way. So describing the food, I would say, is when you can move away from liking and disliking and moving away from, you know, any sort of degree of pressure, but just describing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really cute now, you know, when your kid is a toddler and looks back at you and, he, you know, Bryce the other day was chewing a carrot and he's like, mm, this is sweet and a little crunchy. And it's <laughs> just the so cutest cute. thing when it happens. Oh, that's so awesome. What happens if you're at dinner with someone and Olivia's eating fish and someone says, hmm, I don't like fish. <laughs> yes. Um, obviously, that's going to happen and things are just going to happen in life and you can't pick up the pieces you know, at, at that moment. Yeah. Do you have a conversation later with your child about it or do you kind of shift the narrative in that moment? What an amazing question. Yes. I mean, of course, like we love to control all of the moments that we can't control. And everything we say in parenting is 80-20. So 80% of the time, we're going to be consistent. We're going to be on our A game. We're going to do what we can do. And 20% of the time, it just it is what it is. And so those moments are always hard because we are surrounded by diet culture. So they're going to come up. And I would say in that, it depends who the person is. But I would not have a conversation with your kid over 
afterwards because then I think it's putting just too much pressure on it or putting it more on a pedestal, that comment. So Mm -hmm. I would kind of shift the narrative if you can do that. If it is someone that is in your inner circle that your kid is being exposed to more than just, you know, a couple times out to eat or things like that, then I would have a conversation with them. And one of my favorite things to do is to say the food rules in our house is the division of responsibility. We really, we all want the same thing for our kids. We want our kids to be intuitive eaters. So in our house, the caregivers or adults are in charge of the menu, when meals happen and where they happen. And I want my kid forever to decide if and whether they eat. So this is really hard when you have people that are watching your kids because they feel like all of a sudden there's this pressure that like if they didn't eat their lunch, it's something wrong that they did when they were with your kid. And so I always tell parents, give them permission. It's totally fine if they eat 0% or 100%. I don't mind. Just stay neutral about it. Right. That's good advice. The other thing that just keeps coming to my mind over and over again is that when in the depths of picky eating, when you are every meal is, we've got some sort of electronics going. To get them into the into a high chair or a table is a struggle. You know, the tears that go along with, I don't want this food and just that struggle and and you, you know, bribing and just pleading with your kid to eat. I know what those depths are. I work with it every day. I hear parents talk about it every single day. But what I want you to know and what I want every parent to know is that it is so close that when you start to implement the division of responsibility and you start to be neutral about food, it is shocking how quick your kid actually bounces back and becomes a lot less picky. It's a process, of course, and every kid is different, but it does work. And with that consistency, you are just going to be shocked with how how well it works and how quickly it works. I, I got an email the other day from a mom being like, I can't believe this. I implemented it. I had the pickiest eater that was only eating hot dogs. And I, I forget the other food. It was like hot dogs and chicken tenders. And already our house is so much calmer and our kid is calmer and is just really picking up, picking this up. So great. that's so great. It's exciting to hear. Plus you know that that just makes life easier for people. It makes life easier. The other question that I get a lot is like, how do you handle the pantry, right? How do you handle when your kid's old enough and they can go into Mm. the pantry and say, I want this snack or this snack? Yeah, how do you do that? Some people make some gorgeous pantries nowadays. Put a lock on the pantry. We're in charge of the menu, which means we're in charge of the refrigerator, the freezer, and the pantry. And so the more that you can just keep as as parents and caregivers, that's our job. Those are what we do, the better. Because it's not fair to let a kid go into a pantry and look at all of these options and then try to explain to them that you know when they say, I want this, it's really hard to then say, this is not on the menu. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you can't put a lock on your pantry, mm-hmm. is it something that you can have a conversation with your child about? Because Olivia will sometimes go in my purse around 10.30 in the morning and I keep those chia pouches in my purse because they're my favorite on-the-go snack after pregnancy. And thank you, Lori Bregman, for getting me started on them. But they look like they are a kid's pouch. So yeah. she'll say, Mommy, can I have this pouch? And she knows where they are. They're in my purse. And I've just been saying, Olivia, it's almost lunchtime. We're going to wait till lunchtime to eat. And she puts it back. But I don't know if that's just her. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple layers to that. It's not reasonable for us to eat something different in front of our kids and not expect them to want that. So that example 
that's not exactly for the example you asked, but it just made me think of that. So whenever there's a time that we're eating, it's only fair that that our child gets to eat also. Obviously, the things that are off limits, caffeine and alcohol, the, the obvious ones. But when we're eating, if we have lunch that's at a different time than them, they're going to want to eat what we're eating. And so as much as you can line up your life with their life, the better. When Olivia finds those pouches in your bag, I think it's fine to say, you know, mommy keeps these for snacks on the go. They're not on the menu right now. You know, it's not snack time. And then give her a time in which she could have those so that she knows when they're coming. That's exactly what I would do in that situation. But yeah, if you can't get a lock on the pantry, then anything that are their snacks that they're used to seeing, put them above eye level. We just we want to set them up for success. And so the more that they see those, the more that they're going to ask for it. And then it's just going to create a battle. That's a really good tip. Although the home edit organized our pantry and it looks so good. So I hate to close that door. <laughs> I know. I, I totally get that. And and you want it to be so organized and it makes your life easier. But it right. really, in the long run, it's just so much easier when they can't go in and then just to say, you know, at snack time, I want this bar or I want whatever it is. It just helps decrease the battles. And every kid is different. You know, you might have a kid where it is fine that they see that and they just really follow. It's not on the menu and it's not a power struggle. But for those yeah. parents that are really struggling with picky eating, that is a huge tip. Keep that pantry locked. Okay. Something that you talked about, you touched on for a second, but I'd love to go back to it if if you're okay with it. But my favorite thing that you've taught me that applies to kids, adults, and really all situations is your 80-20 rule. And do you mind just explaining that one more time, You know, whether your kids are at a birthday party or whether they're at a friend's house and, and how that really helps kind of ease your mind that it's, it's okay? Absolutely. Everything in parenting is 80-20, truly everything. What that means is 80% of the time, you have your consistency, you have your routine, and the majority of their day in their life is consistent in what you want to do. 20% of the time, it's unpredictable and that's okay. And so during those 20%, don't sweat it. Just focus on that 80%. I think that really helps us not be perfect because we're not... No parent is ever going to be perfect. It's not possible to be perfect and we don't want to be perfect. We just want to be good enough the majority of the time. So the 80-20 rule applies to everything. And life just happens, you know, and we have to give ourselves grace in those moments. And sometimes we're going to go through seasons where Mm -hmm. whether it's a pandemic or we're pregnant, we're about to have a baby and life's just crazy. Or we had it, we have a new job, you know, life moments creep up on us and we're not always going to feed the perfect meal or send our kids out the door with the perfect food. And that's okay. And, and I feel like you've really taught me that, that it's okay to not have a perfect meal set up as long as like, you know, the times that we can control, really try and set your kids up with healthy meals. Absolutely. I mean, I think the 80%, everything in parenting comes back to confidence. And I think the 80-20 rule is that key to confidence. Because if you know 80% of the time you're doing what you want to do, then those 20% of the time you just let it go. Mm-hmm. With picky eating and with eating in general, something that comes up a lot is that I, at home, I'm so good with the division of responsibility and I'm really neutral. And then, you know, my kids have a sporting event or something and they're being offered foods that we don't normally have in our house. So they're going on a play date and they're offered foods that we don't keep in our house. How do I talk to my kid about that? And in those situations, you it's a very simple thing. One, you definitely let them engage with the other kids. 
because you don't want to put any of that food on a pedestal. You don't want to make them feel like they can't be part of something. That's the 20% of the time. So, you know, they're at a soccer game and their, you know, halftime snack is a Capri Sun, which maybe you don't give your kids Capri Suns or something like that, a juice box that you're just not used to giving them. Let them have it, enjoy it, don't make any comment about it. If they come home and say, at so-and-so's house, they have Oreos, why don't we have Oreos? Just say you don't have Oreos in your house. What you would say is, oh yes, at so-and-so's house, they have Oreos. When you're there, you can have those. We don't have them in our house right now. And you just keep it very simple. Yeah, it really makes it a lot easier. Just to do the neutral thing. It's hard to kind of practice it, but once you're neutral, it's it is so forced. It feels so forced at first. But once you're not pleading with them and it's it's it does make life a lot simpler. I think something that we kind of touched on, but I'd love to touch on a little bit more is how to stay consistent with caregivers, um, whether it's grandparents or a nanny or babysitter that comes in, or even your spouse, like, hey, you know by the way, this is what we're implementing. But just to get everyone on the same page, what's the best system that you've had the best luck with? Yeah. Number one, blame it always on me. Everyone can blame it on me. I always say to put up on your refrigerator just the key tips of what are kind of the feeding rules of your households and really talking about this process with your partner. Have them listen to the podcast. If you need more information, you can always take our feeding course that'll be live. And on that, you get this handout that I always say, put it on the refrigerator. That's what I like is just having a place where you know where kind of our rules are. And the nice part is, is that there's so little food rules when you follow the division of responsibility. It's just really simple. And so putting that up on the refrigerator, so anyone that coming in saying, I know it's so hard. We live in a society where we do the opposite. In our house, we just stay really neutral. And just getting everyone on the same page by just giving them the basics. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll even say like, you know, this is really important to me just just to communicate, especially if that person is constant in your life, whether it's a grandparent or whoever it is. But, you know, by the way, this is really important to me. This really helps us um, stay on track. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in parenting, it's so hard because we always kind of feel ashamed to speak up and tell someone to do something. It's always this awkward moment, especially when it's our parents or grandparents or whatever it may be who've raised amazing kids and you know have come out mm-hmm. on the other side. It's really awkward for us to say to do it a different way. And what I always say is that, you know, we really value we you know, so and so, whatever your kid's name is, is we're really trying to raise an intuitive eater and and keep them non-picky. And here's what has really worked for us. And we would just really appreciate if you could, you know, as much as you can keep that language consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier for the kids in the long run. We may have touched on this a little bit, but just a question that gets asked so frequently is what happens if your kids refuse a meal? Yeah, this is a hot topic. So when they refuse a meal, it's totally fine. You say you can have as much or as little as you want. Looks like you're all done and meal time. I promise you at some point in your life, whether you have a picky or non-picky eater, as your kid becomes more of a toddler and grows up at some point in time, before they go to bed, when they're trying to delay bedtime, they're going to say, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Or they might wake up in the middle of the night, even if they're not hungry, they just woke up and they're like, okay, how could I get mom and dad or whoever's attention? And they might say they're hungry, but when they refuse a meal, it's okay. They're going to make it up. Let them refuse it. The more we try to intervene, 
the more pressure we put on it and the more likely they are to be picky and just not be successful. So in those moments when they look at you with those tears, it's gut-wrenching, it's hard, and they say they're hungry, stay firm and stay consistent and just say, let them know what time you know the kitchen opens. So the best one is at night before they're going to bed or say in the middle of the night, they wake up, you say the kitchen's closed, it'll open up whatever time you guys have breakfast tomorrow and just That's stay so consistent. Cute. It is cute. You know, what's really funny, it's just ironic is last night when Bryce has never actually done that before. But last night before we sang the night night song and right before he went to bed, he said, Mama, I'm hungry. And I had to say what I tell parents all the time to say, which is <laughs> the kitchen's closed and it'll be open tomorrow at eight o'clock. The kitchen's closed. I love it. I mean, and you're on a consistent schedule, which we go back to all the time. So you know that he's getting those meals, he's getting he's getting what he needs and so that he'll be okay the next day. And so that's also kind of the importance about staying on somewhat of a schedule with your eating too. It helps the kids, it helps you and it it's like a peace of mind knowing that my kids are okay. They're not going to starve overnight if they didn't get a huge dinner. And I also like to flip it the other way. I like to say when we try to force our kids to eat, they end up becoming pickier and pickier, which means they're going to eat less of the foods that we want them to all around. And so it's actually a zero-sum game. At the end, by pressuring them or trying to get them, in the beginning, it works. But after a while, it stops working and then they become pickier. So then they're not eating the foods that we actually want them to eat. So really, the only way for success is to be neutral. So well said. If you didn't take away anything from this, just take that away. (laughs) So good. Um, Are there some listener questions that we had? There are. Another question that we got through my Instagram is, in a household with two working parents away from home, it's much easier to whip up the kids a PB&J or some dino nuggets every night when they're starving rather than make them a healthy cooked wholesome meal. What's your strategy for quick, easy, healthy meals that busy parents can feed both them and the kids? I'm feeling like a short order cook around here. That's such a good question. It's such a good question. I think it also goes back to initially like when we first met and I was so worried about, oh my gosh, I'm eating pizza and quesadillas and like, that's okay. It's okay. Just add some nutrients in there. Right? Yeah, exactly. So it is always easier. The biggest thing when it comes to parenting of kids, it is a pressure that we don't want to take on. I mean, there are some parents that just live for these moments, but I would say majority of parents, we just dread making the menu. It takes planning, but planning leads to success with kids. So the more that we can plan so that we don't have to think at night, what do we actually have to make? And you just have like a consistent schedule. You can make a two-week schedule and just figure out the meals you make and just have them on repeat so that you're not in that crunch at night where you feel like, I'm so tired. The last thing I want to do is make dinner. What am I going to make? And I have to think about it. Do all that heavy lifting one time a week where you think of it, you make the menu, and you can even post it up somewhere in your house so that everyone knows what the menu is. So that those nights when you're just exhausted, we're all exhausted right now, especially, I mean, for this listener who has, it's two working parents, it's your entire day is distracting your kids so that you can then work and then you're feeling guilty because you're distracting them. And then somehow you have to get food on the table and it's just... It all becomes so overwhelming so quickly. So taking that time, a half an hour, once a week, plan the menu for the week and then stick to that. That will really help you planning. 
Mm-hmm. And then on those nights when you're just like, the last thing I want to do is make dinner and I'm not going to do this, go grab for the PB&J or the dino nuggets and yeah, put some vegetables on the side and make it a meal and almost plan that in. Knowing Wednesdays are typically really hard. On Wednesdays, that's going to be the night that we have our usuals that are just easy to make. And then the other nights are already figured out for you. Mm-hmm. Great answer. The last thing that I'll say is that cooking and prepping for kids is a lot. If there's one item that I could just say that is worth the investment, it's an Instant Pot. You can whip up dinner so easy in an Instant Pot and so fast. And it's been a game changer for us during this time because your kid can help dump in ingredients and in 5 or 10 minutes, you can have a meal. So that has been a game changer in our household. And I, I just love that device. I know there are so many devices out there, but an Instant Pot has really been a game changer for us. That's good to know. I just ordered one. and. Don't they have an air fryer with an Instapot together now? air fryers with Instapot. There's a nine-in-one where you can make yogurt and it can be a slow cooker. It can be a pressure cooker. And so it is a game changer. I mean, the last thing we want to do is have some sort of meal that takes, you know, 60 minutes to prepare. Mm -hmm. Good. I can't wait to use that. Yes. And I'm excited to give you some really good recipes to try out. Oh, good. You know, for parents on the go, I think we can quickly touch on this and we'll have another full episode about this because I think this is also a hot topic. But just having those easy go-to recipes that you prep for the week, whether it's a breakfast on the go or, you know, a quick lunch that you can take on the go, something that I really love, and I know you guys love this too, are overnight oats where you put them in a little mason jar. They're so fast, easy to make, and then packed with nutrients. That's one of our favorite easy go-tos along with chia pudding. Yeah. Having easy go-tos is everything because when you don't, that's when you don't know what to do and you go grab something else. So in those morning times, you can make smoothie bags, which are really popular where you actually just prep a smoothie in a bag. So put a little bit of spinach, a little bit of fruits, vegetables... The only thing you don't put in it is liquid. And then you can put it in the blender and add some liquid in the morning and it's already done for you. And you have a smoothie in five minutes for your kids and you can put it in a smoothie cup and that's just an easy way for them to go to eat. Making bars ahead of time, just like some energy bars are great because then in those times when you need it, you can just grab and go. If you're in a pinch and you have nothing... Just think, grab a protein, grab a fruit or a vegetable. So like in the morning, you just are having your... It's a later day. You don't know what to grab your kid. Grab cheese and some apples. Like keep it just simple. Just grab something like that. Yeah. Those are such great snacks. Also, we love to have peanut butter stuffed dates or almond butter stuffed dates. Then we just stick them in a bag and we do chocolate covered almond butter dates, which are so good. Those are a great afternoon snack. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. The more that you can... Honestly, if I could do a calling to all parents, if you can just spend 30 minutes once a week and plan out that menu and just have things that are made so that you know in those grab-and-go moments, they're going to happen. We are all time crunched and it's, it's only worse right now. And so just have something prepared and ready in your fridge for when you need those. All right. Well, this was so fun. I think we could talk about this for days. This is one of those topics that we can all relate to. And I hope that everyone learned from this. I know I just learned so much from Jess about picky eating. I learned a lot even in this episode, even though we talk almost every day. So thank you, Jess. Of course. And we'll talk about this all the time, guys. And if there's anything that you guys want to hear about or more questions that you have, let us know because we want to help you through this battle. Should we end with what made you feel full this week? 
Oh gosh, why do I forget this question until the moment we talk about it? Uh, okay, okay. What made me feel full this week? A lot of times, I'm going to go back to this moment a lot. When Olivia and I have our snuggle time, it's like three minutes of snuggle time right before bed. But the other night, you know, I usually go through some affirmations for her and I say, okay, say, I am strong. I am brave. I am beautiful. I'm kind, you know, all those things. Um, I am peaceful. A lot of times she'll add in words and it's so sweet. And so she made me repeat after her the last time. And so when I was having to say them, I was like, whoa, I need to practice this. Like I make her practice this, but I actually need to implement this in everyday life. And it was such a sweet moment and such a learning moment. So I I love that. Mine is not as great as that, but that is such a good moment. But it's going to piggyback off of that. What made me feel full this week was in during bedtime routine with Bryce, one of the things we say every night is you're special and important. And what's cute is that my parents actually said that to me when I was a kid. And I think it was something that I intentionally wanted to say with him. But it's one of those things that I've said over and over and over. And he doesn't usually say it back to me. But the other night I said, Bryce, you are. And he said, special and important. Mm-hmm. And just hearing him say that internalize it just melted my heart. So that was what made me feel full this week. That's such a good moment. Well. Thanks, Jess. I always love chatting. Thank you. Can't wait for next week. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you found something meaningful from this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We want to hear from you. Your thoughts, experiences, and anything you want us to cover. Tune in every Monday for a new episode of Meaningful Living. And if you're looking for more ways to live a meaningful life, follow us on Instagram at Meaningful Living and visit our website, MeaningfulLiving.com. Can't wait to see you next week.